Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Can I welcome Pauline? Can you give Pauline a massive hand and a whoop and a cheer? I'm just going to hand the mic over because I know you'll talk. Yeah, I didn't make any notes. Well, I did make notes, but I didn't manage to bring them because my computer didn't work. But there you go. So you're going to have to put up me rambling. I'll try not to ramble too much. Right. Um, most of you know that um, I had a diagnosis of ovarian cancer this time last year. Um, it's been quite a rocky journey. Um, we've had a big op and lots of chemo and all that kind of thing. Because when you get diagnosed with cancer, you tend not to forget about it. Um, even if you get the all clear, you still think about it. It's there all the time. Um, and it's, it's been quite hard. But this, 10 days ago, um, my oncologist told me that it's come back, um, which was quite a scary moment. It was like being in a tornado, I guess. Um, the ground kind of swallowed me up a bit, and I was filled with incredible fear like I've never known before. Absolute terror. I thought if I leave the room, I take all this horrible fear with me, and I don't think I can possibly put a step forward, let alone breathe um, with this knowledge, knowing what I've now got to go through ahead again. Um, so it, it, it was, it, yeah, it was a scary moment. Anyway, um, God has listened to my anguish and my desperation. Um, as you can imagine, I suspect most of you have also experienced times when you are at your cry out to God, and that's when he can really meet with you. Um, and he's met with me many times over this year, I can tell you, in ways that I've never experienced. And I, am actually, I actually feel quite privileged to have had cancer because it's brought me to a place with God that I've never thought I could have. I see it in other people, and I thought, well, that's never going to be for me. I, he's never going to reach me like that. Well, he's taken me to an even lower point by the fact that I've had this re-diagnosis, um, so, yeah, I, Simon, I think, or Keeley said to me last Sunday, oh, we're going to be, um, it's a monthly meeting down at the Herne Bay Sailing Club. We're going to be praying for the town. We could pray for you as well. If you, you can come along or you don't have to come if you don't want to, but we're going to pray for you anyway. And I thought, oh, I'll pop, I'll pop along. Not, it's not really my thing, praying for, like, in a group of people like this and then having to pray aloud and stuff like that. But I thought, no, I need to get as much prayer as I possibly can, so I'll, I'll pop along. Danny came with me. Um, actually it was quite good praying for the town I have to say and it was it was quite awesome seeing all these people from different churches all meeting together so it might be something I might just tap into once a month from now on Um, anyway at the end Simon just quietly said would you like me to share with everyone what's happened we can pray for you I said yeah all right okay yeah okay so I stood up in the middle of the floor no, there was no kind of like big hype. There were no f- nice dimmed lights and soft carpet, and it was lino, bright strip lights. There was no kind of music softly playing in the background. None of that. Just Simon just stood there. Everyone stood around me, and within like a few seconds, bang! I was on the floor. I was on the floor, and I was. I t- just before I say this, <laughs> I. In that room with the doctor, I was thinking, I am never going to experience joy ever again. Never. Between now and when I die, joy is not something I'm going to have now because I've got cancer. Cancer's with me forever. I am never going to feel joy. I'm never going to be happy. I'm never going to have peace. 
Well, that didn't happen on Monday night because God met with me <laughs> in such a way that he pushed me to that floor. My legs went. Danny thought I was having a heart attack. Um, he was very worried until he saw my face. Well, I think he had comfort. And I, yeah, we've got, I, yeah, that's me. <laughs> it's not... That with full permission. <laughs> yeah, I was a vulnerable person. I could hardly say no. <laughs> but I, yeah, it's not, I don't, I do this stuff on stage maybe, but not, you know, Pauline, real Pauline doesn't do this stuff, you know. This isn't something that normally happens to me. Well, I had the most incredible sense of God's presence. He filled me with joy like I just want to be there for all time now. I, I didn't want to leave that floor. I can't get on the floor. I was on that floor for at least half an hour. 45 minutes, 45 minutes. I couldn't care less if they shut the doors, locked up, turned the lights off. I was happy to stay there all night, thank you very much. I wasn't going anywhere. Um, I was so happy. And then I had this incredible sense of peace that God filled me with afterwards. It can only be God because I don't... This is, I'm not dramatic when I'm off stage. I'm only dramatic on stage. I don't do raising hands and that kind that is That's not something Pauline does on a day-to-day basis, can I just say. Anyway, they'd managed to get me out of the building. I thought maybe the feeling might leave me when I left the building. I thought, oh, the fresh air, wake me up. That's obviously some kind of like alcoholic-induced type of experience. Got out of the room. And I just couldn't walk, and I don't know how many people it took me to get me to the car, but I had to be driven home in Peter and Marion's car. And, and then poor Marcus thought, what have they done to you, Mum, as I'm collapsing on the pavement outside my house with about all these people standing around? If an ambulance had gone by, they'd have thought I'd have to be taken into hospital. Anyway, the feeling did not leave me, and then I was in the house, went to bed, slept for the first night right through since I don't know the last time woke up the next morning, and I still felt his peace. It was amazing. And considering, no, we don't think we're going to cure you. This is your journey now. It's okay, actually. I'm okay. And I wasn't okay, but I am okay now because I know where I'm going. And that has given me such comfort I tell you, knowing that no matter what's ahead, I don't care actually anymore because God's going to be with me, whatever happens. I'm going to have rubbish days, but he's with me all the time. Um, So, yeah, so I just want to share that. (laughs) It really was the most glorious thing. I'd been chatting to Pauline on the Sunday and she was just saying how she really wanted to grasp heaven as well, didn't you? And that's a new quest. (laughs) She wanted that joy that that she talked about, you know, that she felt was evading her and that she would never be able to hope for heaven because she'd lost her joy. And it was just such a special thing to be part of for anybody who was there. We all felt that, didn't we? Well, I don't know what you were feeling. Um, She was carried to the car. She wouldn't even sit up in the car. We could hardly strap her in. I mean, she was drunk in the spirit. And it's completely scriptural in case you think we're all mad. Um, It happened in the Bible. And thank the Lord, it still happens today. We need it to happen more. That's the presence of God that we long for, actually, that it affects us so much that that's what gets us through life because 
Pauline was transformed in a moment. Well, 45 to an hour. But, you know, she hit the deck. We did catch her. It was a hard floor. She didn't care. She was hysterically belly laughing like you could. There was nothing funny at all, only to Pauline. And um, it was just, it's a be- if you've never experienced that or seen it, it's a beautiful thing because the Lord's presence was doing the most deep healing work in you, wasn't it? That, I mean, I'm praying that that was a physical healing too. You know, that's what we're praying over her while she's experiencing that. I know, bless her. It doesn't matter. It does matter. But what was the most important thing for you at that moment was the peace and joy that nobody in this earth could have given her in that moment. But the Lord went, I love you, Pauline, with that love that we've talked about. And you are going to walk out. I'm going to say walk out of here. She didn't walk. Um, You know, you're going to leave here transformed. And so keep praying for Pauline that that is continually happening for her on a daily basis so that she can keep tapping into that joy that keeps her up there, keeps her praising and witnessing to people people about what the Lord is doing so it was an amazing thing and let's pray for more of that in Riverside and that spills out into the world Simon I did uh, street pastoring in Birmingham for three years and I've shoveled many person to a taxi sorry 316 thank you I've got it written in big but obviously sorry have a great time you can borrow my pen never mind okay (laughs) Yeah, shovel many person to a taxi, and it was very similar to that, getting you into that car. <laughs> but in all seriousness, we, what we prayed was, it says in Scripture that if brothers and sisters dwell together in unity, God commands a blessing. And so what we prayed for Paul in simply that night was, God, give your commanded blessing. And that's what happened. God gave that blessing. And to be blessed means to be full of God's joy, full of God's peace, full of God's... That's what it literally means. That, and literally, a piece of heaven came down into Paul in that night, which is beautiful to see, and uh, it was just incredible. So the power of unity cannot be understated. We had a, a word uh, a few weeks ago, um, Mia gave, I think, was it you, Mia, about, about the plough? And we talked about, we talked about you, the harvest and the plough, like a great combine harvester. And I felt that combine harvester was, was unity. And when we dwell together in unity, God commands a blessing. And when God commands something, it happens. It happens. It's not will it or won't it. It happens. And so we called that night. There was a, a great representation of different people praying, calling out for Herne Bay in unity. And because of that, there was a commanded blessing that Pauline kind of got the distilled version right into her life, which was awesome to see. So really exciting. So we want more, don't we? Though? We want more of God coming and bringing a commanded blessing to us because we dwell together in unity for his kingdom. We're going to complete this uh, Simply Jesus series today. Have you enjoyed this? Hopefully... The goal of the series was to give you a fresh glimpse of Jesus. We talked about glasses, didn't we? The way we see the world, the way we see Jesus. And hopefully we stripped back some of the, maybe the religious glasses or the circumstantial glasses, and you did, and why he came. And we've talked about Jesus coming as the king, ushering in the kingdom of God through his life and his ministry, and ultimately his death on the cross. And when Jesus was nailed to the cross, uh, the Roman authorities, they, they took a sign and they nailed it above his head. It was a charge against him. It was Jesus, the king of the Jews. And it was supposed to be a scornful, uh, just parting shot that they did uh, just to basically belittle him and scorn him. And the people walking past said, if you're the king, come down off the cross, save yourself. But that wasn't the way Jesus was going to bring in the kingdom. And everyone watching thought it was the end. Everyone watching thought it was the end of Jesus, the end of the promise 
the end of the coming kingdom. But actually, it wasn't the end. It was just the beginning. It was the start. It was the ushering in of the kingdom of God. Because the title on the cross was true. Jesus was the king. And that prophetic cross, that statement above him was truth. It was heavenly truth that was stated as he died on the cross. He was the king. And a few days later, his resurrection proved it. He beat death and he came back. And God was now in charge. Do you know that God's in charge today? You might think you're in charge, but actually God's in charge. (laughs) God is in charge. Jesus is king. And God's in charge. And if we can start to think about that more and reflect and live more as if God's in charge, it will change our lives. And God being in charge is focused in on the person of Jesus. Jesus is the one who's seated, lifted up high above every other authority, every other name. Jesus is now king. He is in charge. And if we believe this to be true, how are we going to live as if Jesus is in charge? When you wake up in the morning, do you think Jesus is in charge? Because culture would say that you're in charge. Culture would say that you're enthroned. Culture would say that you are the one who needs to make sense of the universe. You're the one who needs to basically take authority, be at the steering wheel. But if we get a true glimpse of who Jesus is, we realise that he's in charge. He's the king, and we're in his kingdom. In the book of Acts, uh, the Dr. Luke continues his most excellent account of um, the story of Jesus. Basically, Luke Acts is a two-part book. If you didn't realise that, it's these two parts that come together, the life of Jesus and the life of the early church. So Luke continues to write about Jesus. And he tells what happens after his resurrection from the dead. And he says this in Acts 1.3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So here's Jesus. He's risen. He's the same, but he is different. He's now a person that's equally at home on heaven, in heaven and on earth. He's the same, but he's different. He eats food, so he's physically present. But he passes through walls. He appears inside locked rooms. He's the same, but he's different. He's at home in heaven and on earth. The disciples can't get their heads around this. They think he's a ghost. They think he's the spirit of the dead Jesus come back to haunt them. And he says to them, touch me. Touch me. Do ghosts have flesh and bone? No, I'm not a ghost. They're still not convinced. So he says to them, do you have something to eat? Let me demonstrate. Ghosts don't eat. Give me something to eat. And they give him some fish and he eats it. He doesn't fall through him onto the floor. It goes inside him. He eats. He's got flesh. But he's different. He's resurrected. He's at home in heaven and on earth. The resurrected Jesus. Somehow Jesus was spanning both realities of the future coming kingdom and the present reality of the earth. And this resurrected Jesus, he gives us a clue as to how we're supposed to live our lives. Because Jesus calls us to be a people that are at home on earth and in heaven. Not just earthbound, hoping for heaven one day when we die, but actually living in both realities simultaneously. And just as heaven touched earth, heaven touched earth. When we prayed for Pauline on Monday, the kingdom of God, heaven came 
and touched earth. It's like the barrier between the two was broken down and heaven was present. And we are now agents of the kingdom. That's what we are. We're kingdom agents. We're called to bring kingdom reality wherever we are, wherever we go. We live as if Jesus is in charge and we're part of his kingdom and we bring his kingdom. After eating the fish, Jesus gave a bit of a kingdom update to the disciples. He said these words. These are from Luke 24. He said, They opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. I want to use these final words of Jesus as a bit of a kingdom mandate for us this morning. What does it look like to be agents of the kingdom? So let's start with that first sentence. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. The disciples were very familiar with the law and the prophets and the writings of the Proverbs and the Psalms. They would have grown up with this stuff right from a very young age. They were incredibly familiar with these writings. But now Jesus came along and he opened their minds. So suddenly they were viewing scripture differently. They were seeing scripture through the lens of Jesus. He says in Luke 24, 44, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of the Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And what Jesus was saying was throughout scripture, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of signposts that point to the person of Jesus. And they all converge on the person of Jesus. You hold a book in your hand that's full of ancient writings, all sorts of different writings, different styles, different authors. One thing in common, it all points to Jesus. So whenever you read this book, what should you be looking for? Jesus. <laughs> Doesn't matter whether you're in the Old Testament, the New Testament, in the epistles, in, the, in uh, Revelation writings, in poetry in the law, in the history of the Israelites, you should always be looking for the person of Jesus. Because all this points to him. This is the menu, not the meal. Amen? Now, I know you love your Bible, some of you think, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. The Word of God. But the Word of God, the Logos, the living Word of God, is who? Jesus. The written Word of God points to the Logos, the living Word of God. And so whenever you read your Bibles, look for Jesus. Say, Spirit of God, open my mind that I might understand Jesus in this passage. We get glimpses when we read our scriptures, don't we? It talks about in here, it says, the rock that brought forth the water to the Israelites in the desert was Jesus. Wow, that's weird. But Jesus was present with them in the desert. Jesus is present with God's people throughout these writings. So when we read our Bibles, we have to ask God, open my mind so I can see Jesus. What makes this Bible so special? Julian mentioned this last week. He said, the word of God is living and active. It's living and active. One of the translators said, it's like rewiring your house while the power's still on. (laughs) That's what it felt like when he was translating the scriptures from the original text. Anyone try to rewire? I've made a few mistakes with wiring in the past. It hurts. Um, 
But there's, the reason this book is alive is because the Spirit of God is breathing on it, and it points us to the person of Jesus. It says it can divide soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered before him. And so we read the word, the Logos, the living word of God. Jesus is there right with us. His spirit's with us. And it should never be a dry and dusty or religious exercise when you read your Bible. Because you are looking to encounter the living person of Jesus in the words of this book. Our next sermon series, starting next week, we're looking at the Psalms. It's called Growing Room. And it's helping us to create uh, an environment where we can continue to grow spiritually. I'd encourage you, you know, if you're not really into your word, if you're not really into the Bible, for whatever reason, then maybe use the next series. I'm going to encourage us all to be reading the Psalms on a regular basis. So maybe that's a chance for you to kickstart, refresh your love affair with this wonderful, wonderful book that you possess. If you don't possess it, I suggest you do. So, being familiar with the word of God, let that word of God change us is the first part of being a kingdom agent. Jesus said the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. If you're like me, you, you struggle to talk about the gospel. To talk about a man who died on the cross for sin is a very difficult concept to talk about. It just sounds plain weird, doesn't it? At best, it sounds like a fairy tale. At worst, it just sounds so otherly, so, so different from what people are thinking about. It can be really difficult to convey it. The death of Jesus does make us feel uncomfortable. The cross makes us feel uncomfortable. Paul said that for the Jewish people, the cross was a stumbling block. And the word used in the Greek there is scandalon. And it's the word we get scandal from. So... The death of Jesus on the cross is a scandal. It's an offence. It produces all sorts of reactions. It produces shame and confusion and frustration and outrage. It's shocking. And so it's a difficult thing to convey to people. And Paul says for the Greeks, it was just plain absurd. It was silliness. It was foolishness. It was childlike. And so whenever we come to present the cross, we're faced with the offence of the cross. Has anyone wrestled with this like I've wrestled? You know, how do you tell a good friend about the cross? It's such a diff- difficult thing. Because there's this, this very strange, weird, absurd thing that God has done that, is, that seems foolish, but actually is incredibly powerful. I can remember when I was working back in industry, a, a friend said, well, what, what's a real Christian? And I fluffed it back so badly. <laughs> I fluffed my response so badly, trying to still maintain my coolness all over the place. And in the end, a friend of mine who wasn't a believer waded in and helped me. <laughs> and um, I just got plain embarrassed trying to tell someone about the cross because it was just, you believe what? The Apostle Paul must have struggled in a similar way because he wrote to the church in Corinth. He said this, I, When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom. As I proclaim to you the testimony about God, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. But he said, I came to you with weakness and trembling in great fear. Because he was going to try and... He decided, he resolved just to communicate nothing but the cross. He could hide behind all sorts of things. He was an incredibly impressive Hebrew. 
He had a great CV. He was a zealot. He was a Pharisee. He would have known the, um, the Torah and the Old Testament scriptures by heart. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He had his credentials. He could have hidden behind all that stuff. But he said, I resolved to know nothing when I came to you apart from Christ and him crucified. And so he came with fear and trembling. And whenever we come to share the cross, there will be a degree, I think, of fear and trembling within us because we're trying to convey something that's so different, so, in one sense, offensive, in one sense, so foolish. But the power of God for the transformation. He says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved is the power of God. And we have to get comfortable with the cross if we're going to be agents of the kingdom of God. We have to resolve to embrace the cross and the message of the cross and somehow think about how can we communicate the cross. Because we don't know how the person that we're talking to is going to receive that message. Often we prejudge and say, well, I just think that's weird or wacky. But if they're one of these people that God is calling, it will be the power of God for salvation for them. So we can't prejudge what our hearers are going to think about the message of the cross. And so even though it's going to feel awkward, I think it will always feel awkward to share the cross, I think it, because it, it, just, it, it goes against the flesh of who we are, but we need to resolve to know it and to embrace it and to communicate it. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So prepare yourself in some way to communicate the message of the cross. You don't have to be weird. You don't have to be religious. But think about how would you communicate the message of the cross to someone? Because it says the right there in Peter, always be prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer. And so I think, as I think about us being kingdom agents, it's essential that we think about how we convey the message of the cross, even though it's scandalous. How do we convey the message of the cross? And that links into our next point. Jesus says, repentance for the forgiveness of sins we preach in his name, Jesus' name, to all nations. Helping people to understand this great reversal, this great, this great renewal that the kingdom of God brings is essential to us if we're going to become kingdom agents. What is the good news? Okay, Jesus, yeah, okay. We may need some more words than that, okay. We talk about the good news, we talk about the gospel. Have you ever thought about what it is that you are talking about and what is the good news? I've written some words down here, my kind of lashed together form. So I said Jesus was fully God and he came to earth as a servant in human form. He was the promised king who would usher in the kingdom of God. By his death on the cross and his resurrection... Jesus freely paid the price for our sin, the stuff in our life that's an offence to God. Because sin's a difficult term, isn't it? And if we receive his gift of new life, we're reinstated into a relationship with our loving Heavenly Father. And on the cross, Jesus broke the power of sin and power of evil over us. And when he returns, he will complete what he started by the renewal of all creation, including us. So I sat down and tried to think about what is the good news? And if you want a paragraph, Tim Keller's written this. He's the pastor and teacher at Redeemer Church. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God fully accomplishes salvation for us, rescuing us from the judgment for sin into fellowship with him 
and then restores the creation in which we can enjoy our new life together with him forever. We need to think about how we convey the good news, the great reversal. Keller would argue in the older gospel, the last element about the renewal of creation was missing. And so a lot of Christians in the past didn't care about trashing the environment or trashing the earth or worrying about their neighbours because they were going to heaven. And so there wasn't this sense of we're all going to be airlifted up to heaven and this can all sort of just, just, just disintegrate or, or go bad. But actually we have a real kingdom mandate to be good stewards to our neighbours and to our environment. And if you grasp a fuller understanding of what the gospel is, it should help you be a better neighbour, be a better person at work, be a better uh, person in your community. If you understand what the good news is, what the great reversal is, it will help you be a better kingdom person. Because there's principles that are in there that we all need to grasp. We all need to understand. And conveying the good news isn't about trying to get it down to the smallest number of words, like one of those compact sleeping bags you take with you on a hike. It's not trying to get it down and distill it right down. You can use as many words as you want. It was once said the gospel is a pool in which a toddler can wade and yet an elephant can swim in it. Okay, so in one sense, the gospel can be as simple as something that can be communicated with a child or as profound as it says in Peter that the angels long to gaze into it. So it's a spectrum from here to here and we can go as deep or as shallow to some degree as we want to. But we have to understand the basic elements of what the good news is. The good news isn't formed on our experience, it's formed on God's great reversal. And so we have to, again, do a little bit of work as individuals to understand the good news. So when we come to talk about the good news, when we come to talk about the gospel, we have a basic understanding of what the gospel is. And then you can use as many or as few words as you want to to describe it. I will counsel you against trying to get the whole gospel over in one go, because most people just glaze over they will not, you will lose them very quickly because they won't understand some of the things you're trying to convey. You'll see in the book of Acts how the disciples often tried to build a connection with someone, or a contextual connection. So when you're sharing the gospel, you know, what's the bridge that you're going to use to convey some of the truths to someone about Jesus? Engage with them at that point with the good news. Don't just try and deliver a missive to them because you will switch them off really, really quickly. So the key thing is you don't have to say everything to everyone every time. You can say pieces of the good news to someone and take them on a journey with you. But again, like the cross, get comfortable with the elements of the good news. What is it the good news that you are carrying? It's not church. Okay, that isn't the good news. The good news is that Jesus has come to bring us back into a relationship with the Father because he loves you. And So how, how are you going to convey that connection to somebody? You're witnesses of these things. Now, most modern followers think that to be a witness means to tell someone about your faith. Yeah? You believe that? It's not a trick question, don't worry. Now, to tell someone about your faith is really, really important. But what Luke seems to be conveying here is you need to tell someone that Jesus is king. That's what he means. You're a witness to something that's bigger than just you. Yeah? 
Most of us have been taught that witness in church is to tell someone your testimony, your story about how you came to know Jesus. That's incredibly true and incredibly powerful. But the bigger piece that you're witnessing to is God's become king. Jesus is now in charge. And that's why my life is different. Amen? You're all going, hang on a minute, that sounds a bit weird. That's what Luke is referring to here. Tell someone that Jesus is in charge. Tell someone that Jesus is king. And this changes the way that we witness. It changes the way that we share the story. Because we're, we're, we're testifying to be much bigger than ourselves. Yes, God has manifest his reality in our own lives, but he's manifesting his reality over the whole face of the earth. His kingdom is a kingdom that is coming. God is a global God. Amen? So right now, at this moment, God's kingdom is coming over the face of the earth, which is an extraordinary thing to think about. Habakkuk said, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk 2.14, a minor prophet in Scripture. He prophesied that the knowledge of God would fill the whole earth. And that is what we're witnessing too. So in some ways, that lets you and I off the hook. (laughs) Because our witness might be good, bad, middling that day, depending on how we behaved, how much road rage we displayed, how many people we had to go at. But we're witnessing to something bigger. The fact that God is filling the whole earth with his kingdom plan. And so this changes our thinking. We aren't like Christian cul-de-sacs, where God sort of, you know, God's good news doesn't end with us. It doesn't, it's not a dead end in our lives. We're just part of a bigger narrative, a bigger conduit that God is establishing. And so we live as people who believe that Jesus is in charge. Amen? We live it seven days a week, 24 hours a day. We live it. We live as people who believe that Jesus is in charge. And it affects everything we do. It affects how we live, how we relate, how we use our time, how we use our energy, how we use our resources. We live as if Jesus is in charge. We demonstrate God's kingdom to those around us by the fact we live in that way. The writer and leader John Stott said this, we must be global Christians with a global vision because God's a global God. And so when we come to church and we worship or we come to church and we pray or we testify or we share with our neighbour, we're joining in with a global God who's doing this globally. Let God expand your mind. Let God expand your thinking. Christianity doesn't... God doesn't drive into your little cul-de-sac of your life and park there and say, this is it. You're part of a a highway, a motorway, an eight-lane, six-lane motorway of God's plan that we're all moving on. We've got to get bigger thinking and bigger understanding because God's global. And we're part of that global plan of the kingdom coming in. And so a key aspect of our witness is we have to testify and witness to a bigger God. A God that's just bigger than us. Yes, we have this incredible intimate relationship with him, but he's the big God. And he's doing amazing things over the face of the earth. And we primarily witness to that fact. Amen? And that might be a shift in your thinking this morning. I know I'm I'm shifting you along a little bit here, but think about that. Next time you, you think, I want to I share God, don't just share your story. Share the big story that God's in charge and he is bringing his kingdom transformation to the whole earth. 
He said, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. This is the power from on high that he talks about. And this is supernatural clothing for everybody who believes. It's the same word that's used in Galatians 3.27. All of you who are baptised into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Now bear with me, I want to use Iron Man as an example, okay? <laughs> okay, at the start of the story, uh, Tony Stark is imprisoned, uh, captured, uh, and he's, he's forced to make a weapon. But what, he doesn't make a weapon, he makes himself an Iron Man suit. But first of all, he has to build a, thing to, a device to save his life. It's called the Arc Reactor, and it sits inside his chest and basically keeps the fragments of shrapnel that are in his body from making their way to his heart. And it's like he's put something inside him, a source of power. And later in the story, well, you know what happens. He builds himself a suit. And this reactor not only saves his life, but it also powers his external exoskeleton, which amazing, he can do amazing things and fly and, and defeat the baddies. Now, the Holy Spirit's a bit like both of those things. Because the Holy Spirit is in you for you, Okay? Like this first slide, the Holy Spirit's in you for you. It's in you for your upbuilding and strengthening and your connection with the Father. It enables you to worship and pray. It's in you for you. But the Holy Spirit is on you for others. Wow. (laughs) Amen. The Holy Spirit is on you for others. You are clothed with the Holy Spirit so that you can be witnesses to God over the face of the earth. You can pray and expect to see things happen. You can intercede and see things change. You can be involved in projects and compassion works and ways of serving your community because God is on you for others. And sometimes we just stop at this side of the slide. Holy Spirit's in me for me. He's in me for me. But actually you're clothed with the Holy Spirit for others. You know, Iron Man's cool, but you're cooler. (laughs) You possess all of heaven, clothed in the power of the Spirit. And what that word is there, it's a fascinating word. It means to be endued. It means to sink into a garment of authority. Isn't that a wonderful word? It's like falling back into an incredible garment of authority that enfolds you with the power and authority of Almighty God. You are endued. The Holy Spirit's on you for others. And I find that incredibly powerful. And I know Iron Man isn't a perfect analogy, but it helps us to think about the fact that the Holy Spirit's in us for us, but on us for others. Luke summarizes his account with the risen Jesus through these words. He says, when he led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And they worshipped and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. You know, Jesus blesses us to be a blessing. You are a blessed people because you are part of the kingdom. You're a son and daughter of the king. You're a blessed people. And Jesus went to heaven blessing the disciples And he blessed them to be a blessing. You're to be a blessing to the earth. You're the the vehicle, the conduit that God is using to bring his blessing to all of creation. 
They turned that blessing upwards. They went back to Jerusalem and they worshipped. And they turned that blessing outwards. And they began to affect and change the community of the people around them. Starting in Jerusalem and then rippling out to the whole earth. The blessing of God is on you. Turn it back to him and then turn it outwards. Did we have a fantastic time of worship this morning? You know, when you come to worship God, give him that blessing right back. You're a blessed person. Give him as much blessing as you can back and then turn that blessing outward to the people around you. Because we want to be kingdom agents, don't we? We want to be people who live life as if Jesus is in charge. That's the big story. That's the big news. Jesus is in charge, and we can live in that way now. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.